Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 102 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host in person in his living room, Dan Galati. Dan, how are we doing today? Good. It's good to see you in person. Actually, face-to-face for the first time in a long time. Uh, I'm having trouble. Do we make direct eye contact here? Do we look at our computers? I know when we start talking about stuff and we need to research, we'll be looking at our computers. But right now, it's like I can see you on my laptop. I can also see you straight in front of me. It's an interesting dynamic that uh, we're not used to, but it's nice. This is actually uh, much better than a late night, got to deal with spectrum Wi-Fi type recording. So I'm excited to do this um, middle of the day. Hopefully our employers don't mind um, podcast here. Yeah, and um, I think you probably know that I forgot to put myself on mute there. So there was a little bit of an echo, I guess, in, in your headphones coming back through my end. So we're going to have to, we're a little rough around the edges doing this for the, for the first time and, and trying to make sure we get this thing ironed out. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't know the eye, eye to eye contact, you know, when you're doing research, it's a little bit easier, all the things like that. So, so it's something we're going to have to have to work our way through. We're going to have to get ourselves a studio and maybe a soundboard or something to kind of make this as smooth as possible. I think we could, yeah, I think we could turn one of the the spare rooms in one of our houses into a studio. Um, Listen, if anybody wants to Venmo us to pay for that so the quality is better, any of our loyal listeners, I'm down for it. But um, that might be a little bit further down the road. But yeah, the audio thing, uh, it's going to be a little weird, but we're learning. And like we talked about the on the last episode, when we were talking about coaching, just as long as we're willing to grow here and be open-minded and our listeners too. Be open-minded with us. We'd rather do this in person because it's a lot easier to have conversations this way. Um, I think we can, we'll figure it out. 
I think so too. And I even catch myself looking at the video camera as you're sitting across from me. So that's something we're going to have to figure out because I'm sitting here like, yeah, yeah. nodding my head. Yeah. Like looking at the camera and I'm like, why am I looking at the camera in front of me when you're sitting in front of me? But obviously big news across baseball in the recent happenings. It's the trade deadline week leading up. You know, it's going to get hot and heavy over the weekend. We're anticipating the countdown to Tuesday. So we're going to continue some trade deadline preview talk and there was some big news in in baseball i think at about around six seven o'clock last night the the word had come out that uh the angels were deciding to be buyers they were going to hold on to shohei otani and make a push for the playoff as it stands right now they're sitting above 500 a couple games out from a wild card spot so i don't necessarily think that it's a bad decision right off the bat but you know you got to make these decisions for the health of your franchise and and obviously they have a better pulse on whether shohei's going to want to stay in Anaheim, but then they follow that up, making an aggressive move. Obviously the, the, the thought process to hold on to Shohei probably kind of went hand in hand with this move where they traded for Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez, where fun fact for any of our deep baseball fans there, they were traded from the nationals to the white Sox together in the Adam Eaton deal. And they were traded for Edgar Cato and Kyle Bush, um, kind of the wavelengths of MLB baseball and names there and two different guys that probably come from different parts of the world. Um, but Dan, what are your kind of your initial thoughts? Let's start on the trade because I think we have some thoughts on their decisions, the Angels specifically. Yeah, this is obviously going to be hotly debated because anything that Angels have seemed to have done since 2014 obviously hasn't worked out. They've missed the playoffs for 10 consecutive seasons. People like talking about them. They've had two of the best players in baseball for you know the last five years, uh, ever since Shohei came over, and they haven't made the playoffs. So everyone likes talking about them. They're always going to be a big story. There's always going to be people with really strong opinions about it. Um, and there's people who hate this, and there's people who like it. I don't have a problem with what the Angels did. I said it the first episode out of the All-Star break. I said to you, they're not going to trade Shohei Otani. I don't think they're going to. You could tell just from everything you were hearing from Artie Moreno, their owner, who clearly didn't want to give up on it. Their front office was clearly torn. I mean, we said that as recently as, as Monday, Tuesday night, whenever we last recorded, that it's clear that this front office is torn on which direction they should go. They made their decision, and they went for it. To me, this is better than just hanging out in the middle. If they had stood pat and not moved Otani and not made a move to try and enhance their team, then they would have really been in a bad situation. But to at least say, okay, the news they make a decision in the front office, which was step one, are we going to trade them or not? We're not going to trade them. Okay, step two then has to be go get guys that can help you. They always need pitching. They go and get Giolito. He's having a, a, a bounce back year after kind of a down year in 22. And I, I like this move. I don't – I look, I'm always going to be in the stance of cha- trade the prospects. Trade the prospects. You and I say it all the time. They're just numbers, and they're always better. And as soon as those guys make their, their debut, they all, for the most part, lose value. There's a very rare few who gain value when they make their debut. You never know. It's never going to be a slam dunk. There's never been a history, a prospect in the history, outside of maybe Harper and Strasburg. They're, they're off the top of my head. Those were like the two slam dunk prospects where you knew what you were getting and they came up and they lived up to the billing. Mike Trout was drafted at the, the back half of the first round. You don't know. 
You don't know. So, I, yeah, if you're going to decide not to trade him, then go make your team better and try and make a playoff push and and try and show him, hey, show, hey, look, we're, we're making a deal here to get better. We can win with this team. If they get into the playoffs and go on a run here and they get into the play, sneak into the playoffs, they can at least say to him in the offseason as they go to offer him this contract, you can win here. We were in the playoffs last year. This is what we're building. We can continue to make moves like this. Don't walk. Yeah, I think that a lot of times what gets me with organizations specifically is indecision, right? And that's one thing that nobody can accuse the Angels. I know I've said this. i kind of been beat hammering this home for probably the last six months here of nobody can accuse the Angels of not trying. There's one thing in having a bad process that includes making bad decisions, right? That's frustrating. That's infuriating. But we spend all offseason lauding these teams. Oh, owners don't want to spend. Owners don't want to spend. Owners don't want to spend. Management doesn't want to trade prospects to win. Management doesn't want to trade prospects to win. And then we get in the regular season. I, I think I tweeted this out from our podcast account. It's like in the offseason, we applaud the teams that spend in the offseason. Off and then in season, we applaud the teams that build from within, right? And the Angels have been committed to winning and trying, right? Everybody gives them so much crap because obviously they've had the two best players that, you know, have graced this earth um, in the in this century, it feels like, um, outside of the, the steroid users at the beginning of the at the turn of the 2000s. But they haven't won with them. They haven't made the playoffs. They haven't been successful making this push to succeed is a step in the right direction for them. And you just have to applaud the fact that they're actually operating with conviction and doing something that's going to better their organization. Now, whether I think it's right or wrong, that's a different conversation, right? That's a different, completely different 360. But I have to give at least the respect to the management, respect to ownership for their commitment to win, right? This is a team that has more long-term contracts that have failed and they continue to hand them out. Josh Hamilton, Justin Upton, Albert Pujols, Anthony Rendon, Mike Trout, like all these guys. And obviously there's different levels to each of those. And even to the certain extent, Mike Trout's been productive, but he's kind of been hurt since they've handed him that that large contract. And they keep wanting to do it, and you have to give credit to them to a certain extent for their commitment to winning, commitment to winning with Otani, and commitment to building it as best as possible while they have the best player on the face of the planet on their roster, and that's not a guarantee in 2024. No, and it's not a guarantee what prospects you would have even gotten back for him if you had traded him would turn out to be. Look, you look at, just for example, the Juan Soto trade. We're still ways away from being able to say, okay, this was worth it for the Padres because we don't know what they've done. But they got Juan Soto, a guy who has performed for them and is one of the best offensive players that we've seen in baseball in a long time. A guy who's still only 23 years old, a guy who they could lock up long term. They got James Wood, who struggled in, who has struggled in high A Wilmington so far for them. They got Yarlene Susanna, who's eighteen year old, eighteen year old who throws a billion miles an hour. We don't know what that's going to look like. We all know what pitching prospects are, are so hard to call, especially when they're eighteen. They got Robert Hassel, who's hit two twenty this year. He, he struggled. He was, I think, he's dealt with some injuries. He's struggled. He's hitting two twenty. C.J. Abrams looks like what? C.J. Abrams looks like a glove first, light hitting shortstop who you can find other light-hitting glove for shortstops if you're the Padres in the future if you need one. And Mackenzie Gore. And Mackenzie Gore right now looks like, to me, the best player in the deal so far just because he's at the big league level doing it. But if you look at 
his body of work so far in the majors, he looks like his ceiling's going to be a mid-rotation arm. If I were to tell you that you could have three lottery tickets in Woods, Susanna, and Hassel, a light-hitting shortstop, and a three-starter, you would do that deal every time. You don't know what you're going to get, is my point for Shohei Otani, when you make that deal, if you were to trade him. Now, on the flip side, what you've given up, because everyone looks at prospect rankings. It's so easy to see. The Angels just traded their, their third and, what, fifth best prospect? Two and th- second and third best prospects on there. Well, guess what? The Angels farm system was depleted. So them trading the two and three best prospects for these two guys doesn't say that much. Okay. Edgar Kiro is a catcher. They like Logan Ohapi. They think they have the catcher of their future anyway. Kiro's a five foot 11, 170 pound catcher who doesn't show a lot with the bat. I think he's hitting 200 in, in, in double A this year. 246 in double A this year. The one thing that you look at when you just based off his numbers, you look at he's about one to one strikeout to walk. That's promising, but he's kind of a defensive first catcher. I, they have Logan O'Happy. They really like him. Kai Bush, on the other hand, I, his numbers are, are pretty unimpressive. His numbers are pretty unimpressive in the minors this year. I think he's thrown 30 innings in the minors between rookie ball and double A. I think rookie ball was rehab. He threw four innings. He had a 15. ERA, that doesn't matter. But in 26 innings in double A this year, he's a 588 ERA with 33 strikeouts and, and 14 walks. So there's some stuff to like there, but there's also some some concerns. He's pitching almost a six in double in, in A baseball. There's no guarantee. So you go out and you made you just made your roster better to potentially make a push to potentially keep Shohei Otani. And you gave up guys that, yeah, it's great, but Outside of Trout and, and maybe Zach Neto, what is the Angels' player development and their history of developing prospects into solid, everyday, star potential big leaguers even been that I'm going to be so worried about trading two prospects to make my club better in the here and now? It, it, to me, that it, it's a no-brainer almost when you look at it that way. Yeah, I think when you, when you look at the deal um, itself, I wouldn't trust any prospects that have – especially going to the White Sox um, because – the White Sox don't exactly do anything well when it comes to player development, uh, and I, that might be a little harsh, but they haven't exactly drafted and developed well. They're kind of in the same boat of the Angels in terms of their drafting and development. And in regards to Caro, I mean, you're talking about a 20-year-old catcher in Double A. Like, age matters, right, for some of these teams. And high on-base guy, you're talking about a 140 difference. He's a 386 on-base guy. He's shown some forms of power in the past, uh, 414 through the minor leagues on base. And obviously you're going to expect some of those to regress really good bat to ball, really good on base skills. But again, like catchers, catchers are as volatile as relievers. Um, You know, we talk about this so many times, everybody gets excited about the, the new cute catching prospect. And then next thing you know, the next one's there. And the, the last cute catching prospect is in the big leagues. I mean, Gabriel Moreno was supposed to be a stud and, and what he has he been in Arizona that makes you, you know, kind of hold your breath about a guy that was a top 10 prospect, right? In legitimate top 10 prospect. We're not talking about top 10 in the Blue Jays farm system. We're talking about top 10 in baseball. And obviously Francisco Alvarez has been great, but one of the things that Francisco Alvarez does that most catchers do not is hit for power. And power translates at all levels. Those high exit velocities that we talk about translate. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't lose sleep over over making a move and, and making a push. And the Angels, that that's part of my reason where... So let's go into it, right? Because the Angels are deciding to buy, right? They have a thin farm system as is. They were lucky enough to get the names of Lucas Giolito off this deal because I I didn't imagine that 
somebody out there like the Dodgers, somebody out there like the Rays or Orioles wasn't going to be interested in Lucas Giolito on, on his return to form and, and for better prospects, quite frankly. They have no guarantee to keep Otani. That's been very well covered, very well versed in every step of this process. But they're being aggressive, right? And the decision to buy there, you don't want to trade from an already thin farm system. When I'm the Tampa Bay Rays, when I'm the Baltimore Orioles, when I'm the Los Angeles Dodgers, I personally don't lose sleep trading prospects. You know why? Because I'm going to have the next six lined up when I draft in the back end of the first round, back end of the second, get my compensatory picks. Boom, boom, boom. Our farm system's filled. The Angels are so bad at drafting as it stands right now, and they have been so bad at drafting that there has... I wouldn't, I would lose more sleep doing that, right? Do I trust my scouting directors? Do I trust these people making these decisions? But again, all of that is to say, do we want to commit to win with Shohei Otani while we have him? On the opposite side of that, do we trust ourselves with these prospects that we get for Otani for them to even develop? Because what's worth it? Six more months or three more months, two more months of Otani and a push for a playoff and sell out and compete and sell more jerseys and all the things like that or get these lottery tickets, as you called them, which is a great way to describe any high ceiling prospect, get these lottery tickets in our farm system that we haven't developed anybody since Mike Trout. So which direction do you go? They had Joe Adele was a lottery ticket. Look at what he's become. He's a 4A player. He hasn't performed at the MLB level yet. You don't think that they have some demons and skeletons in their closet that they don't think about when they're going to make these trades about farm systems and prospects and all the things like that, which again, that is a process thing. Everybody needs to give credit to the Angels for being committed to win while they have Trout, being committed to win while they have Otani because not every organization would operate the same way under these guidelines. They want to win. They throw money around. They make aggressive trades. Their process sucks. They acquire bad players. They draft bad. They develop bad, and, and that's where the issues lie. But in terms of their commitment to winning, I think that they should get credit for what they do. Yeah, the the process sucks. I think you just said it best. It made me laugh because it's it's so blunt, but it's so true that look, this team until they show you that they can draft and develop properly, prospects are useless to them. So you want to trade Shohei Otani? You're probably how many big league ready guys are you going to get for a guy that's going to be two months anyway? It was going to be a prospect filled package, which is something we had talked about a couple weeks ago, and. What is that? They're they're worthless to the Angels if they if you can't develop these guys and you're not going to make them better and you don't have success getting them up just because you traded for a twenty year old with a super high ceiling, Joe Adele. To your point, doesn't mean that they're going to be big league stars. It doesn't mean that in four or five years when you need to reamp this or, or you know change directions of where you're going that they're going to help you get to that next point. If you're going to trade those prospects, why should I be worried as the Angels organization that I just traded our two and three when we those guys probably aren't that good? Like I haven't I haven't gotten them better since they came into our system. Sure, if they had made this deal with the Rays, it'd probably make them look worse. And that's something that I don't think we put enough um you know weight on when we talk about stuff like this is that who did you trade those players to? To your point, you just trade. Also, you just traded those guys to the White Sox, who also can't develop prospects. So they just got two guys who 
Are they going to make them better? Probably not. If you traded them to the Rays, yeah, it always ends up looking like you got fleeced. It looks like you got fleeced because the Rays probably turn those guys and make them better. The Dodgers always make it look like, you know, you got fleeced. The Astros make it look like you got fleeced. Um, Think about the one that everyone points to when you say, well, how many deals have the prospects turned into something? Yeah, James Shields, that trade's bad. The White Sox, but again, would Fernando Tatis be the player he is today if he had stayed in the White Sox system or he'd be Yoan Moncada? He probably, there's a chance that he could look more like Yoan Moncada than he does Fernando Tatis. The Padres have developed prospects. They've done a much better job than the White Sox at it. So again, for me, when I take that view of things, the Angels are operating how they should. Until they revamp their draft, their scouting department, their player development departments, then I'm not going to take their prospects serious, in or out. I'm not going to take anyone that's in that system seriously. And the industry as a whole doesn't. Because you look at the prospect rank, there's a reason that they draft these guys in the first round and they don't hit any lists of of top 100s. It's because the industry doesn't take their system as a whole. So they're in a situation where they have to be all in in free agency, in trades, and trying to win. And to like again, you have the best player in the world, a once in a generation type player in Shohei Otani on your roster. You have to do whatever it takes to keep him when your system looks like that. There is no patience to be had. There is no turning that guy into something better. So you have to say, at least show, we are going to attempt to win. We're going to attempt to get to the playoffs so that we can then re-sign them. And the one thing the Angels do have, like you said, is a willingness to pay guys. They will try and match and exceed any offer he gets this year and leave it in his hands. And... I think they have a, they have two huge things in their corner. Everyone just keeps assuming he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. He's Why? He likes being in L.A. on the West Coast, and he has history with this organization where they've treated him well. They've helped him come from go from promising guy coming from Japan who has the potential to be a star into the superstar. The Angels have done that. The Angels have done a great job marketing him. The Angels have done a great job turning Shohei and Otani along with him, obviously, and what he can do on the field. But they've done a great job of turning him into what we know him as now. That matters, to I think, when you sit down at the negotiation table with a guy who's as internationally you know, famous as Shohei Otani. That stuff matters. And again, I think the West Coast thing plays such a huge factor that people aren't taking into effect because of how big his popularity is internationally. Being on the West Coast, being closer to Japan by 3,000 miles, I think does help a little bit. I really, truly do. And that could be crazy. That's not something I've heard or read or anyone that knows anything. That's just something that's just my completely my opinion that, that's a guess. But I, all those things, like I think the Angels are doing – are operating the only way that they can to the best of their abilities. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a lot to unpack. Uh, yes, because I wouldn't say the Angels are even the favorite at this point in time to re-sign him. I think that's something that we have to consider um, because obviously he has kind of made some comments like, hey, I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. He's, he's made that very clear. And obviously when those questions are asked, I mean, he's wearing a certain uniform. So it's interesting to hear him say that. But, I, but I'm with you. I think in terms of their process, unless they're going to revamp their player development, which they should, um, and be able to revamp their scouting and development and all the things like that, 
you might as well just build the best contender you can get and go keep Shohei as long as you can, make a respectable offer for him because, you know, as I said, I don't think they would be the favorite if the offseason started today, but you also have six more months of negotiations, right? Who knows? If you put a blank check in front of him, maybe he might. Um, I know he was sold on the Angels by their former regime. Um, it wasn't he was the Perry Manizen and and who is there now running the operations isn't who he came over with. I believe that was Jerry DePoto uh, was it with the angels at that point in time. Um, and obviously we all know where he's at right now. And that, that could that come into play? I don't know. There's a lot of trust there with Otani. Like there was a, the decision to come to LA with the angels was very thought out for Otani. It wasn't just a whim. Who's going to spend money. Where am I going to live? Yada, yada, yada. No, it was, he wanted to be in an organization that was going to allow him to prosper. And I think that that was what the angels sold to him. Is he going to want to look for something different? Maybe sure. But again, as we said, you get a bunch of lottery tickets for Shohei Otani and there's no guarantees you're going to develop them. So why do you even, why do you even try? Just go try to make a playoff, sell tickets, sell jerseys, you know, get an opportunity to play on, on the big stage at the end of the year in October with, with your best players, both best players. Hopefully Mike Trout comes back healthy and is ready to go. And that's kind of the best bet you have, but it is a, it is an interesting conversation. It's tough to trade prospects. Cause you know, you look at the future. If Otani doesn't sign Giolito might be gone. Obviously Reynaldo's kind of just a throw in there, but you're probably kicking yourself for making that deal. Um, but that's not something that if they make the playoffs, it's probably worth its weight and, you know, weight and gold at that point. But it's an interesting dilemma. It, it is a, is a very large conversation to have. And obviously we're going to continue to probably have this conversation after the trade deadline because we're going to have a lot more clarity. And in hindsight, a lot of hindsight was kind of what, where my thought process was when you were talking about those other teams, right? The Rays fleecing the Pirates and the Dodgers fleecing whoever they trade with, right? We always evaluate trades in hindsight, not trades in process, right? And when you look at the process of these moves and, and the process of that move specifically, you probably applaud uh, the Angels for giving away two guys that are not a guarantee to be successful at all. Um, and just going to throw this other trade out there that happened last night before we move on to other parts of our conversation. The uh, In a trade that I always like to say, in a trade that mattered in 2017, um, Syndergaard was traded for Ahmed Rosario. Uh, if any Mets fans were in you know, some cryotherapy for a couple of years, you're frozen and you just woke up today and, and you were like, holy crap, Ahmed Rosario was with the Guardians and Syndergaard was with the Dodgers and they were traded for each other. Whoa, that's probably because Syndergaard's a Cy Young and Ahmed Rosario's an MVP because you know how you Met fans love your prospects. And then you're like, no, it's because they both suck. It's like, <laughs> it's just so fun uh, to think about. And as uh, Andy Martino, who covers the the Mets for SNY, tweeted out, he said, the Mets are across the MLB in recent news. Guys that weren't traded or the guys that the Mets refused to trade for JT Real Muto were just moved because they can't fit on a roster anymore. So uh, for any of you Mets fans that wanted JT Real Muto a couple years back, just remember your management didn't want to part with either of those guys and, and now look at them now. They're they're super valuable. But um, obviously, Dan, any thoughts on the Syndergaard and Ahmed Rosario trade other than an opportunity to kick the Mets and how they didn't get JT Real Muto? No, and I'm not even going to kick the Mets. I just think it's a funny, it's a funny trade on the whole because it was such a. I don't like this guy. Will you take him? 
and it was a yeah we'll take him if you take this guy that we don't like on our roster either um it kind of a an a, I, i'm curious as to what the dodgers are doing i guess uh, Kike, I got a little bit. They went out and they got Kike. He gets two hits in his first game back. Like, there's a lot of history there with Kike. They obviously, Kike's probably one of the top clubhouse guys in the league, like a guy that everybody loves and everybody wants in their clubhouse. Um, but he's really struggled with the bat this year. Uh, he's hitting sub 230, hasn't shown any power, but the, he gives them p- positional flexibility, which is something that, you know, Andrew Friedman and Dave Roberts absolutely love. So I get that a little bit. To go get Rosario, I mean, they didn't re-sign Trey Turner. Gavin Lux, who was supposed to be his replacement, tearing his ACL. They have just struggled and struggled and struggled to find someone to stick there. They tried Miguel Rojas. I'm sure Kike will get some reps at short. Now they're going to try Ahmed Rosario. Um, in years past, this would probably be something I'm like, watch what the Dodgers do with Ahmed Rosario. I'm not so sure. Like I just don't know if Ahmed, Ahmed Rosario had a good year last year. Could the Dodgers – Get the, the, will they maximize his value? Yes, but what is the maximization of a Rosario's value? I don't even know. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a. I'm, I'm this trade makes me more interested in what the like are the Dodgers are these the trades before the trade for the Dodgers, right? Like, are they just queuing something up? Are they are they freeing room on their pitching staff to then go get you know a, a, a bigger name, a, a Marcus Stroman? Um, I guess we'll we'll, we'll find out here in, in about five days. Yeah, and I think, I mean, maybe just to put a little light on it, maybe what the Dodgers see is back-to-back years of average to above-average production at the plate. Um, a guy who crushes lefties, we saw them make a deal, a um, lot of deals for platoon opportunities at the deadline over the last couple of years. So they might view a guy that could platoon with a, you know, with whoever. Um, don't really know off the top of my head who he would be platooning with and where, but I think this, uh, even the more interesting side of that is how does this change how we view the Francisco Lindor deal? But that'll be a conversation for, for late August after we have a little bit of hindsight that really the, the Guardians obviously only got back now Andres Jimenez and two solid to, to average years of. Ahmed Rosario, but Dan, obviously post trade deadline for any of our angels fans, this is, we're getting paid by the angels after they made this aggressive deal. They slid in my DMS today. They said, Hey, we need to sell some tickets. And I said, Hey, why don't you guys check out SeatGeek? I'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a mobile ticketing app that allows users to buy and sell tickets to sports games, concerts, and other live events. SeatGeek would like to give our listeners 20% off their first purchase. All you have to do is head over to SeatGeek.com and use our promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, that's right, BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, to get $20 off your first purchase. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off your first purchase. That's for any of our Angels fans who want to get a last glimpse at Otani before he hits free agency. You want to make a push for the playoffs. Make sure you're packing that place out in Anaheim. I hear it's a beautiful stadium. So in other news, uh, we got the news that the the Angels were deciding to buy and hold on to their assets. Well, we got news that... The Padres look like they'll be moving in a different direction. The Padres have reported that they're interested or sorry, other teams who have been in talks with the Padres are saying that they believe that Hayter and Snell will be traded. So 
Initial thoughts on, obviously, Snell leads the MLB in ERA. He's got a little bit of a walk problem right now. He had seven in his last start and five innings. He had five in his most recent start um, in what I believe was six innings. So you're talking about a guy who's fighting with fire, kind of being an escape artist right now. But he's been really good. I mean, he's given up like two earned runs over what feels like the last 70 innings after starting off the year really bad. And then obviously on top of that, Josh Hader's pitching to a sub one. He's one of the most dominant relievers in baseball. He's He gets swing and misses at guys' eyes. He's he's hard to hit. He's hard to barrel up. What kind of returns could the Padres be expecting for two guys that have been really, quite frankly, really, really good for the Padres this season? Yeah, I didn't know that was going to be your leading question. I had other thoughts. Um, but I, I think that, you know, this hater, hater is obviously, I think, gonna, both guys are going to get them pretty good returns. Um, again, just like we talked about with Otani, not returns that you can bank anything on, obviously. You know, I think it's going to be prospects, lottery ticket prospects, just because both guys are on expiring contracts. Now, the thing that concerns me with Snell and why I wouldn't just point to the ERA thing is what you talked about. He's always been that guy who he struggles with command. And when he's not, he you know, he went through two months of being just absolutely dialed in with command. And now these last two starts, it's it's starting to look like there's going to be some regression there, you know, back to what we, we've kind of seen from him the last couple of years in the sense that, you know, he gets in trouble with commands and then finds the heart of the plate and three run bombs are how you win and lose games a lot of times in Major League Baseball. And, you know, so so for those two guys, I think that that being said, with how many teams are bunched up in the wild card with the expanded playoffs, I don't know how many legitimate starting pitching options there are going to be. You know, when we're getting excited that Lance Lynn's going to be traded, a guy with a six four seven, we'll talk about in a little bit. That tells you that the market's it's a, it's a seller's market. So I think the Padres are probably going to get more than they would in a in a different year if there were a bunch of other arms on the move. I think. If they're smart, they trade them before the Mets talk about what they're going to do. Because if you're a GM and depending on on what your your bank account looks like, would you rather have a Scherzer or Verlander down the stretch than a Snell? Potentially, um, that's kind of what you know. That's up to you and your desired taste. But if if you're if we're sitting here today not knowing what the Mets are doing, and you look at who's available starting pitching wise, Blake Snell's the top one of the top arms, right? The White Sox are not going to trade Dylan Cease. At least that's the reports right now. Marcus Stroman's had a good year. That's dangerous because he's a pitch-to-contact guy. He's had a bad couple starts here recently since the break. Uh, he got lit up last night in Chicago against the White Sox. So you look at it, and Snell's the best guy. So they can get a decent return for him. And Hater, every team, we talk about every year, every team in contention needs bullpen arms. And you go get one of the best ones. And for me, I think it's so smart for the Padres. We talk about it all the time. Bullpens are important. Relievers are replaceable. We should make a shirt at some point, by the way, that says that. That's a good, that's a good merch idea because um, that, that saying just makes so much sense. And, and so go trade Josh Hader. He's on an expiring contract. You can build a good bullpen without Josh Hader moving forward. But teams in contention, you really could use Josh Hader. So I think both guys are going to give them good returns. And I think, you know, we can get into this a little more here, but I think this is the right move by the Padres. Yeah, I think it's the right move. Um, I think ultimately that, you're maximizing Blake Snell's like Blake Snell's value right now, again, depending 
from the outside perspective, if you're in a fantasy league right now, it's a little different than trading with execs that have quality information. But there's two things. What do we talk about, right? What's the best thing to do as a pitcher? Miss bats and limit barrels. Those are the two things. Third on that list is throw a lot of strikes. Right now, Blake Snell has a 13.4 walk percentage, which is the highest of his career. And this is a guy who, who struggled to throw strikes historically. He's fifth percentile walk percentage. He's 48th percentile in barrel percentage. You're talking about a guy who's pitching to a 2.6 ERA with a 3.86 expected ERA. Still misses a ton of bats, misses bats at an elite rate. He's one of the best at, at getting whiffs in the league. But I mean, his shutout outings seem like they're going to be a dime a dozen in the second half. And if you can get something for him before he implodes, I guess is the best way to say it, which again, is a stretch. Blake Snell's very good. Um, but I mean, more in my big picture thought, I'm like, how did Blake Snell never become a reliever? Because that's what relievers do. They struggle to throw strikes. They miss a lot of bats and they give up a lot of barrels. That's a, that's a credit to Blake Snell for avoiding the inevitable for what seemed like all pitchers uh, as in the last, since the two thousands. But you know, maximizing your potential, again, do the Padres trust themselves to develop the next Josh Hader? Maybe not, right? The Orioles, when they traded Jorge Lopez last year, they knew we got this mutant in, in Felix Batista. We think we can tap into something with Yiner Cano, and, and you're good to go. You don't even stress, and that's where, you know, good organizations can do that. Can the Padres replace a Josh Hader? No, but can you get at least 80% of Josh Hader? Probably. I just know the Padres bullpen's been kind of one of their kryptonites this year. They have six guys OPS plusing over 100. You've got Blake Snell, who's pitching like an ace and a Cy Young caliber arm. Joe Musgrove's obviously been in and out of injury, but if you could circle one thing that's kind of holding the Padres back, it's that bullpen. And, you know, you kind of do one of those buy sells like we saw it with the Yankees in 2016, I believe right before the baby bombers, when they made all these moves, they got rid of all these expiring contracts and, and pending free agents. And they kind of made a little run in the second half, right? Do we expect this with the Padres? I don't see it. If they move these guys, um, I don't see them pushing the playoffs if they decide to move these guys. Um, but I think it is smart in terms of their overall health, their organization. Just get, I trust that organization with player, player development and prospects. They're a little bit more old school in their evaluation prospect process, but they're nails, man. There's reason they've been able to make aggressive trades over the last couple of years. There's reasons they've been able to get the Juan Sotos of the world in the boat. And, and obviously uh, Fernando Tatis graduated from that farm system and they've done a really good job and, and they're able to be aggressive. So the guys they get back would definitely be worthwhile, but I don't know if that helps you in 2024. You have six guys on the books for 10 plus years. You got Juan Soto kicking down the door of free agency. And, and where do you go? Where, where do you go from here on out? If you're just, trading rentals and trying kind of like the White Sox you mentioned Dylan sees we're going to trade rentals and then buy for 2024 like it's weird your roster dynamics weird do you trust Xander do you trust Manny do you trust Cronenworth to return to form is Trent Grisham an everyday center fielder who's your catcher for the next couple years who's pitching outside of Blake Snell you have a bunch of twos and threes as we talked about before the year it's weird which brings me to my next question what do you do with Juan Soto. I think two and a half years of Juan Soto 
changes the dynamic of your organization. You can get a future top of the line rotation starter potentially for two playoff pushes, a year and a half. Sorry, I said two and a half. A year and a half of Juan Soto, two playoff pushes. I think a team like the Rays, a team like the even the Orioles, you know, we talked on the last episode about how they shouldn't be aggressive for an Otani, but they should be more aggressive for a Soto. What do you do with Juan Soto if you're the San Diego Padres? I mean, before I even get to the, the question about Juan Soto, I, I'm just happy that they've started to kind of take this stance because I'm getting so sick and tired of hearing about the Padres are going to go on a run. The Padres, just wait. It's Padres team. They've got it in them. They're going on a run. They're going to get hot. This, lot, this team's too good. They're going to go. They're not that. Look at the run differential. The run differential is better than some of the teams in the playoffs. You know, they, they, they really struggled out of the game, but they're, they're really playing better. It's going to be Thanksgiving, and I'm still going to be waiting for this Padres team to to go on this this run that everyone's continuously promised for the first three and a half months of the season. It's it's not happening, right? Like it's not happening this year. So I'm happy they're taking this stance. Now, to your point of they're in a weird spot. I don't love the comparison to the White Sox. I think the White Sox are, yeah, like the White Sox are idiots for not selling. Like the White Sox need to sell. Like the, why you would keep Dylan Cease, I have no idea. I would be trading the house, but again, a team that doesn't ex- like they need to change their entire process for me to believe in them. But they need to rebuild. It's it they just give it up, and and the fact that some of the executives in that front office have kept their jobs when that team has under this regime has been horrible, horrible. I mean, they won the World Series in 05, and since then they've done nothing, nothing. They've made a couple wild cards and DS. Or yeah, and the DS it's terrible. The Padres, though, do you trust the, Xander? Do you trust Manny? Do you trust Fernando Tatis? You wouldn't sign him if you didn't. It would be really stupid to give out those contracts if you didn't. Now you can get burned by that, but as soon, in my opinion, unlike some of these leagues like the NBA, the whole structure that's going on there, where you sign these guys and then you just trade, it doesn't matter. The contracts are fake. The NFL contracts are fake. It's 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 they're not real, right? The length, the duration isn't. Baseball, they are. So you wouldn't you wouldn't sign those guys to those deals if you didn't. So yes, I I don't hate them retooling this. Get some different guys in there. Try again this all season. Get rid of your expiring contracts, and then move forward. I think what they're doing here, you know, they host the Texas Rangers. They play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then they're going to be on the, the eve of the. I think that they might make some decisions here. I think that if they continue to, you know, you, you get to see Joe Musgrove again, he'll he'll start on Friday. If you can even sniff it, then maybe maybe you you just do that. Maybe you do buy one or two pieces that come at a cheap cost and you go for it. If it was me, I would get rid of my expiring contracts. I would then try and, you know, go after and and, and try this again next year. You kind of have to. And I would do everything again I'm just in such the mold of when you have a, a once in a generation or a, a superstar type guy and every year all-star type guy like Juan Soto, keep him in your organization for as long as possible. You've committed to Manny Machado. You've committed to Xander Bogarts. You've committed to Fernando Tatis. You clearly were trying to open a window of contention for year over year over year over year. Do whatever it takes to keep Juan Soto. Pay him this offseason. Keep him around. Don't let him get the free agency. That's why I probably wouldn't trade him. 
I would like as a fan to see him get traded to the Rays or the Orioles or one of these teams because it'd be fun to see him again in the playoffs. But this year it's not happening for the Padres. I'm happy they're starting to at least kind of wake up to that and and we're done hopefully waiting for this Padres team to go on the run that we've been promised since the end of April. You and I even, I mean, and and I've switched stances on this. We sat here in the middle of April and talked about the Padres getting hot and Juan Soto is going to be fine and yada, 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 but it never happened. And so I flipped. It, it Like mid-May, I was out on them. Memorial Day came and it was like, this team isn't good enough. They just lost a series to a reeling Pirates team at home. You want to make up ground in the playoffs? You look at the schedule and you have the Pittsburgh Pirates coming to town, a team that's reeling and been terrible since April, a last-place team coming across the country to play you at home, you better at least win that series. That's the only way you're going to jump the teams that you're chasing. You lose those series, that right there alone tells me you're not there. You're not. It's not happening this year. Yeah, I think, again, it's a lot to unpack there. The, the Padres have been rumored to be really all in on Shohei Otani. So, like, if that's the case, you keep Juan Soto around. Um, and it's so funny because when we had that conversation in April, the conversation points were Juan Soto is going to be fine. Check. Fernando Tatis is still an MVP caliber player. Check. What's been going on? Right. Like outside of that, it nothing's changed. We were actually accurate in that in our analysis, but everything else is just so bad. And I just again, I, I feel like we talk about this a lot. Roster dynamic is just clunky, and that's the best way I can describe it. Cronenworth hasn't been good since 2020. Grisham hasn't been good since 2020. Obviously, you know, you have Fernando and right and Soto and left, and they're great, but like that hole up the middle has been crucial, crucial to their ability to develop. They haven't had a catcher, right? They had to go get Gary Sanchez just to be competent back there. Um, you know, you look at, and so outside of the Xander Bogarts contract and the Machado contract, it's just everything else has been meh. So like, again, we talk about the best teams have the best depth, right? There's no denying that the best teams have the best depth and, and, player development and the Padres just don't have that. So I guess it just depends. Like if you're actually going to make a push for Otani and then if you can't sign Otani, keep Soto around, I'm with you. It's just one of those things where I don't like bulking long-term contracts and not supplementing it with young players because you have nowhere to go. You have nobody to fill holes. You have nobody to, you can't move Machado. You can't move Bogart. You can't move anybody. You're just stuck with these players for the foreseeable future. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it depending on, but you said they're still real. And every time I look, I feel like, oh, the Padres won a game. Maybe they're on a win streak and they're sub 500 in their last 10. Every time, every single time they win, you check the box score. You're like, oh, maybe they're going to get going here. And you're like, but they lost two out of three. They just saved themselves in the series against the Pirates. And it's it's bad what they got going there. And it's just not working right now. And, and it's I don't really know what they should do, but get rid of your expiring contracts. Maybe take a flyer on a couple guys for cheap and try to make a run at it. I think that's your best bet and, and make a run at it for 2024. But Dan, we're sitting here today and, and we're in person and, you know, we want to get a soundboard. Right. We want to get something so that we don't have to, you know, be sitting here across each other with both our laptops running and got to click mute to make sure that it doesn't echo and all this stuff like that. And 
The best way for our listeners to do that is to hit up our friends over at Routine Baseball. We'd like to take a uh, second to thank our sponsors over at Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers authentic baseball apparel such as t-shirts, shorts, hoodies, and hats. Their products make the perfect gift for any baseball fan. Routine Baseball wants to give our listeners 10% off their order. Just head over to routine.com slash Backside ground ball to receive 10% off your order. That's routine.com slash backside ground ball to receive 10% off your order. So as we conclude this episode and we, and we round it out to form here, uh, we wanted to kind of highlight a team that, that we feel is fun, right? The, the Cincinnati Reds, they've been the cute team. They've been America's team. They're selling out their ballpark. Everybody wants to get in on Ellie. Um, Ellie's as dynamic as anybody. Matt McClain's not talked about enough, and, and obviously they're in a really good position. And word came out last week that they were looking to move Jonathan India, and you kind of look at it sideways. You go former rookie of the year, solid big leaguer, you know, OPS in 750 even in a down year. That's kind of what you sign up for, for controllable pre-arb or getting ready to enter arb. Why would they want to trade him, right? And they said for young, controllable starting pitcher. So that's a smart move, right? Currently, they sit at 56 and 48. They're one and a half back of the Brewers in the NL Central. They're in a wild card spot as it stands right now, and they seem like they're getting their dynamic talents back and ready to roll with those horses. So what are your kind of thoughts on the Jonathan India move and the potential to move that? We don't even have to get into what they're potentially asking for because that seemed outrageous when that came out. But uh, the Cincinnati Reds seem to be wanting to move Jonathan India to get some assets back. Yeah, just for the record, the report came out that they were looking to get young, controllable starting pitching. We just talked about the starting pitching on the market. I don't know who that would even be. Like the only – like. JP Sears, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like from Oakland. I don't know who that would even be. I, that doesn't seem like a trade match because why does Oakland need Jonathan India? Um, and boy, would I feel bad for him if that's where where he got traded to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting, and, and I get the move. It's it it's funny because I think the Reds are in a position that they, just like the Orioles, where this front office is, doesn't really know how they ended up here. Like I feel like they probably are. As this, as the deadline continued to approach and this team continued to win games and continue to solidify themselves as a playoff team for this season, the front office was probably like, okay, guys, like we didn't see this coming. Um, what do we do? Because, you know, when you, I, I love the aggressiveness, much like Baltimore, I love the aggressiveness of, of moving along the young guy. I mean, the list of young guys that they've brought up this year. I mean, first off, the, the Tyler Maley deal. Looks like a, a great job by them um, just to get Spencer Steer alone. So you have Spencer Steer who started the year with the big league club. He's, he's, he's been outstanding for them. Um, Ellie's the most electric player in baseball right now, as far as just captivating to watch. There's a ball hundred miles an hour across the infield. He hits the ball to places you haven't seen in, in several stadiums. Um, he looks like he's going to be a star at some point. Benson. A guy with a ton of juice who's right, who's been absolutely, you know, like another guy who's been fun and young and electric. Jake Fraley's been fantastic. They got another smart move by them. Um, Christian Encarnacion Strand, they've called up. Uh, Matt McLean, who's a guy I really like, who's another. So they have, they've, they're all of a sudden it's crowded because they've allowed these guys to come up and debut. And these guys have performed above expected for guys who are making their debuts and are all playing as rookies. 
I thought, you know, I thought there would be regression from the Reds, and it just hasn't happened. I think there will be some regression from these guys at different various points, as we always talk about the adjust-readjust game is so important for guys in their careers um, as they get going. But they're sitting here, and they're like, well, who do we move? Jonathan India kind of becomes the odd man out, right? No one's going to take on Votto. You're not going to trade Joey Votto because Joey Votto is still the face of the team. He's still the glue. He's the veteran. He's the guy that that you know you rely on. And, and all of a sudden, when Joey Votto is hitting six, your lineup looks really good when he's not having to hit two, three, or four. Um, and so I think they're just they found themselves in an interesting position, and, and they don't have much. They're not going to trade their prospects because they're still not in their compete window as far as going and winning a World Series. But they have an opportunity to go make get in the playoffs and anything can happen. So they're not going to, you know, you're not going to trade Benson. You're not going to trade McLean. You're not going to obviously trade Ellie. You're not going to trade CES, I believe is how they refer to Christian Encarnacion Strand. Um, So I I just think that Jonathan India becomes that odd guy out. Look, he's, he's, he was a former rookie of the year, but you can go to sleep at night if you move on from him. He's 26. So he's the older of that infield group, right? He's a guy who, um, has value on the market. So if you're looking for pieces to upgrade your club for this season, India makes sense. And I, because of how his contract situation, I understand they want someone controllable back. I just don't know if you're going to, if the value is going to match up there. Um, but I like it because the Reds should go out and try and improve, and, you know, improve this club for the playoffs this year, because I think they've proven now at this point going into August that they are a playoff caliber team. Yeah, I think it's funny because my brain immediately goes to with the situation they have. They have Spencer Steer, Matt McLean, Ellie De La Cruz, and then Noel V. Marte in the minors, and so many other guys. Christian Arnacion Strand botched that up a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean it's it's like you have a fantasy roster, right? And you're deep in one position, and you go make a trade trying to get somewhere where you're not deep. Like that is the luxuries of building depth. I mean, we talk about it with the Padres, where their concerns at. They haven't been able to build depth. Well, now the Reds have built depth. They have trustworthy depth, and you can move that depth. And you you try to balance the guy that you think could get the highest return and not impact you the most. The guy that you can sell at least moderately high on to get back something controllable. Whatever it is. Is, right there, like you said, they're not going to trade Ellie. Like Ellie would bring back an absolute stud arm, right? There'd be teams that would be willing to to take Ellie in a heartbeat for for a high quality arm and and not even lose sleep about it. So you have to balance what your organization needs. But again, it's like it's like opening up your fantasy your fan tracks page. You're scrolling through your page, you're like man, I got like three really good third basemen. Let me move one for a pitcher. I need a pitcher, and then you throw them on the block. And if nobody bites, you just keep having three good third basemen, and that's what the Reds are going to do. They're shooting high because they want to get something that's worth worth their time. And and you know, quite frankly, I think it's a good move from them and and a smart savvy move because for an organization that's made a lot of smart savvy moves. And and I think that's something to be said for that. Um, And last but not least, I do want to talk about this a little bit. Lance Lynn's been getting some heat. He's been getting some heat. He's been uh, rumored to the Rays. He's been rumored to the Dodgers. The Dodgers are sticking their neck out there. And a lot of people would sit there and go, 36-year-old with a 3.47, the Rays and Dodgers want him. Yeah, the Rays and Dodgers want him because they definitely see something in him. I wonder how his – how much his psyche was impacted from the 
outing last night because of the trade deadline. I think at two o'clock, a lot of people didn't think he was going to make his start. And then he ends up having to roll out there and pitch and he goes four and a third, gives up seven earned seven hits, gets roughed around a little bit. So I wonder if that had to do with that as we kind of sat here and talked. But, um, Lance Lynn's an interesting candidate for me because I do think there is a little bit of positives in that in that profile of a 6.47. His K percentage is up from last year, almost two percentage points. He's at a 26.9 K percentage, which is pretty well above average. The question mark is the walk percentage. Major regression from a 3.7 last year percentile to an 8.4% walk rate. Like that's a huge jump for a guy. And, and last year was almost the anomaly of his career. He was usually sitting around seven during his career. So, um, you know, going to cut that in half is kind of outrageous to think about. But obviously these organizations see something positive in him and, and he's a veteran guy who's going to take the ball for a competitor and give you his best effort. So Dan, what are your thoughts about potentially Lance Lynn going to the Rays or the Dodgers? I don't know if you purposely did it, but you talking about Lance Lynn and Heat. Uh Heat is what he has not brought this season. And that's the big I mean Lance Lynn's been a uh he's been a fastball pitcher his entire career. Right. He's lived off of it. Um, he backspins it, he cuts it and he sinks it. And that makes up about, you know, 60 percent of his pitch arsenal. Um, actually, 70 percent of his pitch arsenal. I apologize. About 70 percent of his pitch arsenal is um, based on fastballs and his velo is down and he's 36 and guys really crush the fastball. Um, and the off speed offerings have never kind of been his you know, what he's done well, you know, he, he's change up curveball slider. He's always going to be, you know, around 10% as his pitch usage with all three of those to make up that last 30% of, of what he throws. And when your fastball isn't located and doesn't have the extra life to it, as you get older, that's the death sentence for a guy whose profile is this. Now, that being said, He's an innings eater. He's always going to be an innings eater. He's a top-tier competitor. As far as, like, you're talking to everyone in Major League Baseball is top-tier competitors, and he's the top of those, that that elite group of c- competitors. Um, so that, you know, that brings you value on the trade market. Um, I wouldn't trust him to go out there and start a big playoff game, but for teams in contention who need innings, and, you know, if you're the Dodgers – you just traded Noah Syndergaard. I'd probably still rather have Lance Lynn than Noah Syndergaard, right? Even though, I mean, he, he is the worst ERA of any qualified starting pitcher in Major League Baseball this year. That doesn't look good. That's kind of ugly. That's where my concerns are. I, I, I think there is obviously always some bad at ball luck when you look at guys who are having this bad of years when they, you know, especially when you look at his track record. Obviously, he's had some tough bad at ball luck, but he's gotten smoked. I mean, he's, his, the slugging percentage against the fastball is through the roof. The barrel percentage against the fastball this season is through the roof. The hard hit percent, like all the things you don't want to see, right? You talk about missing bats and missing barrels. He hasn't, he's walked more guys than he typically has, and he hasn't missed barrels nearly enough. So I think it's interesting. I think we always get excited when the Braves and Dodgers acquire pitchers because of how well they do developing those pitchers. I don't. I think again, Lance Lynn is a guy who you get as an and. 
Nah, our move is Lance Lynn. It's a we're getting Lance Lynn and oh yeah, we're getting this guy. Um, so it'll be interesting. The White Sox are going to do whatever it takes. I think they're going to trade him no matter what. Someone's going to take him just because of his innings reliability and the fact he's going to take the ball and go out there and probably get you twelve outs no matter what, how ugly it may be, and that's important in August and September for some of these teams. And the White Sox are certainly going to move him because they don't need him and he's on an expiring deal. I just. I don't know how excited I can really truly – I want to, but I don't know how excited I can get. I'm going to call my shot here. I think he's going to have a huge second half with whoever he goes to. I just – I'm sitting here looking at the profile. Like Obviously, the velo's down, which obviously leads to some more barrels. But you're still talking about a guy who's 84th percentile whiff percentage. I'm just – again, if I'm taking a low – risk like there's what's the risk if you trade you know what are you trading prospect 18 and 20 maybe if that for a 36 year old on an expiring contract with um the numbers that he has maybe you're trading a a reliever a a prospect reliever there are you're really taking nothing to get this deal done you're not moving big time prospects and if you can get a guy with that with with those whiff numbers get him to rein it in give him a little confidence everybody with the white Sox has been bad dylan ceases regressed lucas giolito has regressed over the last two years he's back to a little bit of the norm this year but we saw him blow up last year lance lynn's doing a lot of the same change the scenery get him out of the the south side and who knows maybe maybe you have a guy who who could be valuable for them. And I think he is going to start for the team. I mean, worst case scenario, pitches out of the pen. He uses that high whiff percentage to get important outs and, and maybe covers two to three innings out of the bullpen. But I do think that there is some still some some juice left in that Lance Lynn. If the whiff percentages were down, down, I'd be like, just DFA him and just tell him to hang him up. But there's still something left there. And, and even if the velo's down, obviously, as long as you're still missing bats, there's something that those pitches are doing that's good. And, and you know that the Rays and Dodgers definitely see something that they could that they could tap into with with Lance Lynn. So, um, Dan, before we uh, before we let our listeners go, you got any closing thoughts? I do not. I can't wait for. I can't wait. I, I want more trades. Give me more trades. Yeah, I'm sure by the time we get back here on Sunday night, it, it's going to be we're going to have a flurry of of opportunities to talk about trades, and then obviously we'll be able to to completely recap the trade deadline on Tuesday night. Um, so we'll we'll definitely be continuing our coverage of the trade deadline and and giving our thoughts and and super excited to see what what comes about it. Um, but thank you to our listeners for tuning in, as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. Also, make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube channel. We're posting some shorter form clips on there as well as full video content. You can check out us in person today on YouTube. Uh, We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.